Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Petum here as always. And of course, I am joined by the returning Tom Nightingale. He's back from his trip over to the UK. Good to have him back on here. But of course, we're going to reflect on Aston Villa's 2-1 loss to Brentford in West London on Sunday. Of course, you're hearing this on the Monday. Uh, We were doing this literally, what, an hour or so post-match and... uh, some of the reactions might be a little raw, but hopefully they'll also have a little bit of thought and um, um, analysis into it instead of just uh, screw this and screw that. But nonetheless, let's go over to Tom. Tom, how's it going? Yeah, I mean, uh, not too good, actually. Not too good. What a, what a disappointing one that was. Um, I mean, I thought first half, I thought we set up pretty decently. For, you know, we, were at, we were just absolutely bossing it, weren't we? And I remember thinking to myself, this is the curse, right? I was thinking to myself, I think about two thirds of the way through the first half, I was like, wow, it's nice how sort of uh, clearly better than Brentford we are. Like, it's nice that we've made that leap and, you know, we're controlling a game that we should be controlling. We're ahead in the game in which we should be ahead. And then uh, it all falls apart. You know what? That's a typical Villa. I don't know how many times I've seen that in the last decade. Nonetheless, um, if we wanted to do just a podcast on how bad Villa can be on the day, um, I'm sure we could probably make at least, um, I don't know, a series of what, 12 that I can probably think of at the top of my head if you want to go into a deeper analysis. But nonetheless, of course, like Tom said, there it is a loss 2-1 to Brentford, of course. Danny Ings getting on the scoreboard first in the 16th minute through a wonderful purette um, roulette goal, I guess, move you can say from Buendia to set him up clear through on goal. And of course, Danny Ings in those situations never makes a mistake. Fourth goal this season there, of course. And then Brentford surprisingly um, fought back. And I'm very, very surprised at that point in the game to see them fight back. And it really came from nothing, of course. And that was, um, I think, Wissa is Yoin Wissa. <laughs> I don't even know if that's how to pronounce it in the 42nd minute, of course. And to be fair, it was a very well-taken goal. You have to give um, the opposing team plaudits whenever goals of those qualities go in. You could say that, of course, Kanza and Orhaz could have closed them down a little bit quicker, but nonetheless, a good goal. And the one that frustrates probably all villains the most would be Mads Roarslev. His goal in the 83rd minute, second opportunity on that one. First one was excellently saved by Emmy Martinez and uh, Courtney Haas got absolutely caught ball watching and it was an easy slot in from there. So of course it leads to one to Brentford. Now they jump ahead of us in the table after listening to people on Twitter throughout the 90 minutes or so, or I guess you could say 80 minutes going on and on about how um, this will keep us at least 10th or roughly around there. Now I think we're about 12th or 13th if I believe so. But anyways, Tom, I'll come back over to you. It's let's not let me ramble on too much. Cause usually I don't make too much sense. 
it's a frustrating result, but when you look at the side that we put out there, are there any ones in particular? And I don't want to dig people or players out, but I feel like it needs to be done a little bit. Is there anyone in particular you would look at and probably say, you know what, they shouldn't have started or they should have been taken off a little bit earlier? I mean, from the regulars today, like from what you'd call probably our, our guaranteed starters, I thought Target had one of his weaker games of late. I, uh, you know, I thought you could have got out could have got out a bit quicker maybe for the winner and just generally like I didn't it's a shame because he'd raised his game again um and I didn't think I thought he was uh he was pretty lacking today the main thing for me today is we've seen we've got two huge examples of how badly rust can affect footballers uh and that is Courtney Hawes and Bertrand Traore like the Hawes thing I, I like him as a I like him as a squad player and as a backup center back but like my strong preference would be to end the January transfer window with Courtney Horses firmly our fourth choice centre back rather than our go-to replacement option. Like I think we need to we need to do a bit better there. I thought he was I thought he was having said that though, I thought he was uncharacteristically poor today. I think often when he comes and fills in, he does a really good job. Like I've praised him on this pod in the past for certain performances, but today I just thought he was not at the races. And then like while we're talking about not at the races, Bertrand Traore, you know. When he's playing relatively regularly, he has those moments. He's always a bit frustrating, but he has those moments of magic. He can come up with something really good. Like today, I don't want to be too harsh on the guy, but I felt a lot of the time like it was a bit like playing with 10 men. Um, I didn't, I can't really recall very much, if anything, that he did well. There are a couple of times where he gets the ball into feet and he sort of does that sort of pull back where he, you know, takes the defender out of the game and makes a bit of space for himself. And then he almost invariably wasted the next touch or the pass. Um, he was so, so rusty. Um, and obviously it's difficult because you want to play players back into form and we're not exactly blessed with options at the moment with everything that's going on. Um, but it was a big disappointment for me for me today. And then just, you know, a bit weird as well. Like he was, our, he was far and away our rustiest player. And then you take him off like quite late in the second half and you bring on possibly the only player in the squad who is more rusty than he is, uh, bringing Trezeguet on. Um, and, you know, as much as I love to see Trezeguet back, uh, he's one of these, along with Traore, I have to say, I'm not sure how well they fit in to our blueprint moving forward. Like, I'm sure we'll move, I'm sure we'll get onto this, but they're the kind of players that I can see becoming spare parts pretty quickly, especially if we do add a couple of pieces in January, which the signs seem to suggest that we're going to be going out to do that. Um, and then just, I can't got to mention it while we're talking about Trezeguet. I don't ever want to see a Villa player do that again. I think we both know what I'm talking about. Um, the sniper in the crowd, uh, like that was actually embarrassing to watch. Oh, I was purely embarrassed. Like I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, I, I, I get the whole notion, but like, Maybe this is me because I'm North American and I'm not saying European people believe in this, but you do see this in uh, football more often than you would any other sport. Uh, I I just, the the, the diving thing drives me like insane. Like I look like five snipers took him out, to be honest. He didn't even get touched and he's clenching onto his face. Like the guy just ripped off his nose. Um, I I don't understand that. And and to kind of go on to your point about, um, Traore he looked I don't want to be too brutal on the guy but he literally looked like um, a bicycle from that they would have used in World War II it was dropped at the bottom of the ocean it's so rusty they finally pulled it out and they just tried to try to start using it again like Mm -hmm. 
I understand the point of using him because obviously Gerard wants to see what players like him and Trezeguet can eventually do. He maybe wants to see if they can fit in and adapt. It, it's hard to assess it now. Now he goes off to the African yeah. Cup of Nations, which I love the guy, but he's as brittle as um, a he'll bunch get of injured, man. Oh, he'll get yeah. injured. He'll be up he'll for the rest of the season. To be honest, I think his I think his um, Aston Villa career, if he comes back injured again and he's done for the rest of the season, is over. I just I don't see how you have that much patience for it. Trezeguet, unfortunately, in my opinion, would have been gone in the summer if um, he wasn't injured. No one's going to buy injured goods, of course. Um, it, it's just such a it's weird because Dean Smith was around for so long, and now we have that mismatch of players from one era to the next, and you kind of have to sit back and say, you know what? It's what eight games into the Gerard reign. Um, what four wins, four losses. People are going in on that saying, oh, it's settling in out now. It was just a new manager bounce. Well, again, look at the teams that we lost to. And all of those are, I think, in the top six, um, barring, of course, Brentford now. But at the end of the day, too, give them a window, give them the rest of the season. Like this is going to be the season now. It's going to be trying things out hopefully going to be up and down unfortunately in my opinion tom and we might as well cut right to it i think we're going to finish probably around 10th or 11th again i feel like that's just how this season's going to go and i feel like next season's unfortunately at this point is going to be the one where we really try to push for it but where do you sit with that i mean we're a mid-table club now like there's no point kidding ourselves about anything else like personally i'm still at the point where i'm happy to be for this season i'm okay with being a mid-table club because you know we survived on the final day season before last Last season, we had that incredible start, didn't we? Where you're riding momentum. Football's a game of momentum and a game of confidence. But we were a mid-table club last season. We're a mid-table club this season. Like you need, you do need that stability in, in, in mid-table. And the problem is, of course, that it's not really stability for us because we've had this complete overhaul of manager and of system. Um, I just want to see us moving in the right direction. Which, broadly speaking, I think we are. Like I did, I, I did say after the game that I. Th- do you think there's an element of new manager bounce to it? Like we were always going to, while I wasn't sure about the Gerard appointment in the first, in the first, um, you know, in the first sort of weeks of speculation and then him being appointed in the first few games, I did always expect us to get that immediate lift because you often get it with a new manager anyway. And when it's somebody like Steven Gerrard, who a lot of players like your, J- your Jacob Ramsey's and even like your John McGinn's must look up to him so much as a manager and as an icon, like we were always going to have that lift straight away. Um, I'm not surprised that we've got like, you know, today's result was like you say, before today, we'd only lost to very good teams. Um, got a bit of a tough go coming up now, like United twice in a row in the league and the cup. Um, there is a danger that we will fall into a little bit of a slump now. And it's how we respond during that spell. That's going to be key. And I think I have to say, you know, in, in the, in, I don't want to sound like I'm getting on the back of like the new manager, the new manager and the new staff, because it's clear that there has been a whole, a lot of improvement in a lot of ways. Like, I don't think it's just new manager bounce, but I'm not, you know, you can't, you can't keep, you're not going to keep winning games necessarily all the time when you're a mid table club, which is what we are. Um, There are, and there are, you know, the mitigating factors are still at play. We had them a lot under Smith in the first half, you know, before he, before he got sacked, COVID injuries, um, you know, players, players not staying fit, not being able to nail down. Okay, the back four is pretty solid and pretty consistent, barring like you know occasional things like the the one game ban for Mings today. But the back four is pretty settled. 
apart from that, like we haven't looked settled at all. You know, we were just finally getting into a very settled midfield when arguably, in my opinion, our best midfielder of the last few weeks, Marvellous Nakamba gets injured. And that throws the balance of your midfield off again completely. And you almost have to start not from scratch, but you certainly get bumped back a couple of spaces, right? And you have to build again. Um, a big thing for me today is like, it, so, uh, you know, Ings up top, Buendia on the left, Traore on the right. That's got to be a new, that's got to be another new front three. And like, I haven't gone back and looked at it, but how many different front lines have we played this season? Like I remember opening day Watford, didn't we have Ings up front and then like Ashley Young on the left and yeah. Anwar El Ghazi on the right? <laughs> and that has really set the tone for this season. Like how many front front threes have we played with? There's no semblance of uh, consistency there. And so it's very hard to create a, te- you know, the kind of telepathy that you want between your attacking players. We just haven't had that don't know when we're going to have it again like let's be real there's always it seems like the kind of thing where it's not just us it's a lot of teams I think but there's always an issue there's always a disruption and it's about overcoming those things like obviously like Watkins hopefully Watkins is back I think it's been generally uh, acknowledged at the time of recording that it's COVID certainly a COVID related issue hopefully I'm not the, the isolation period has been reduced right now in the UK, I think. So that I think means he should be back for United. Like when he comes back, he goes straight back into the team. Definitely, obviously. Um, but then what, you know, with, with Traore and Trezeguet going, you know, as much as we've said they're rusty, like their options. And when they go now, El Ghazi, like Ashley Young, broken toe, don't know how long he's going to be out. There's still a lot of working out to do. Um and you got you get these obstacles thrown at you, right, week after week. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens next. You know, I have a couple of thoughts on what we what we might do with the lineup, but you know, I'm not a manager, so. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe you'll be the next one in charge here when uh, whenever Gerard moves on to Liverpool. Because I was watching the Chelsea Liverpool game, and somehow that got brought up. I would love to know how that gets brought up in the middle of a game that has nothing to do with them but anyways that is media being media um but no i i completely agree it's very stop start and we're not the only team i mean Leeds have definitely had it worse and you could go on and on about other teams um the likes of chelsea have, think they have it worse but they still have like a half a billion dollar lineup at their disposal so they can't really complain um arguably the funny part of that actually being i think a good chunk of that comes from a goalkeeper that they don't actually play. But anyways, uh, though that shows from that financial power and lack of knowledge that uh, some players or some teams make with their signings. But the one thing that I noticed Tom in this game in particular, and I do want to talk about Danny Ings here in a, a bit, because I think it's important to give him some praise and we'll, we'll go on to Buendia as well. Cause I thought they linked up very well, even when Villa were very poor, it was just, the cast around them didn't really support them to maybe make that extra touch, the extra pass needed to unlock Brentford. Honestly, I thought we could have been up 3-0 at halftime that we were playing in the first half. Going into the midfield, I mean, probably the truest tale of two halves when you look at it. Really thought Jacob Ramsey never really got in the game. He had some good movement in the first half, but looked very, I wouldn't say suspect, but it just didn't really look like he was in the game Again, Dougie Louise to me isn't a holding midfielder. He's a stopgap for now. 
Um, McGinn, I thought, had probably one of his poorest games of the season. I can only really think of that long-range effort that he had and think in the, later in the first half that went comfortably over the Brentford goal. And they looked good in the first half, but it was... I don't want to say it's old Villa to get hit back and then a poor response, but even a little bit before that, some of the passes giving away cheap bits of play um, for me, people can go on and on and on about how much possession we had and they're happy to see that and then complain when we don't have enough possession. Well, we're not man city. So that's one thing. We're not going to hold possession the whole time. And I, again, I don't understand the notion where people believe that because you have possession, it means you win. How many million examples could you have in the history of football where a team has had like, I don't know, 20% possession and they've still won one, two or by three or more goals. It's what you do with it. And I think that's our biggest issue. But to go back to the midfield, Tom, it's hindsight's a beautiful thing. I personally, I think if Nakamba plays and he's healthy and I think Mings plays, honestly, I think we keep a clean sheet, but do you think it's just a sense of we're missing that stop gap, no nonsense defensive midfielder, we're using the likes of Louise there who should probably be a bit forward. And Ramsey, in my opinion, should have probably been on up further instead of Traore. But what did you make of the whole midfield today? It's not enough st- there's just not enough steel, is there? Like, and it's so frustrating for me. I know it's looking backwards rather than looking ahead, but like with Nakamba, it's so it's just it's one of those things that happens and you just have to curse it because he was in the form of his life, certainly the form of his villa career. And it got to the point, like, you know, like I mentioned earlier, it got to the point really where he was almost the undroppable midfielder. And not only because of the job that he does and like his own performances, but I just feel like we'd found a really nice balance with our midfield with him at the, him at the, you know, as the anchor in it. Um, I think McGinn, I think the problem we have at the moment is that McGinn, Ramsey and Louise, while they all do have their, um, sort of advantages defensively they can all do a fair bit of defensive work I'm not at all saying that their games are limited to not being able to track back and not being able to put a foot in and win the ball but they're certainly not I wouldn't really call any of them a specialist at that and I think that having them three together in the midfield um, you do miss that bite and you miss that um, you know breaking up play and it's difficult when you have a midfield three, when all three of them want to get the ball and want to be able to take it forward a little bit and want to be the ones to start attacks. They all have that in their locker, but you can't have, you know, it's the same way in a front three, you can't have three players in a front line who all have the the same specialty or all have the same attributes. Uh, that just doesn't really work. You need that balance. And so we come back again to what we were talking about in the summer. Like, do we need to go back in, in the transfer market and sign uh sort of, steely defensive midfielder and I know that saying steely defensive midfielder is a bit of a cliche but I think that's a large part of what we were missing today it was just one of those really frustrating games where you can see clear as day mapped out in front of you that we are losing momentum and we are losing our grip on the game um I thought the subs were a bit odd like I can kind of understand why Gerard didn't maybe didn't want to throw Carney in uh to a game that was sort of starting to teeter because you know it's very different bringing on Carney when you're one nil up with 10 minutes left and the other team hasn't really threatened like a Norwich style game um that's very different to a game like today when the momentum was already swinging um but I don't really feel like we addressed the issue which was that we were just were not getting a foot on the ball in midfield and we weren't exerting the kind of influence that we were in the first half um but it's difficult, isn't it? You know. Um, so for me, 
it's just a shame. Like if we're talking about, I've forgotten the timeline with Nakamba when he's expected back, but like if he was expected back in like two weeks time, I wouldn't really be worrying. Cause I would say we can ease him back in and we'll have that option again, but I can't remember. It's a relatively lengthy timeline, isn't it? I, I think, think it's months. Like, yeah. I think it's at least, I, I could be completely wrong and I'll, I'll look it up here in a second, but like, I think it's a few months at least. And to be honest, then you throw in the time that it takes to do all the recuperation mm. and rehab and then he needs to get back to fitness and then match sharpness. Like honestly, right now he's had what I think obviously he's had the surgery and now he's done the first step. Now it's recovery and to see how it heals. Like he's at like probably the second step out of like 10 that he needs to get back into this lineup. So it'll be interesting to see, but the one thing that we probably should go on to now, and maybe we should have started with it. It gives some positivity because I feel like we've been rather negative, but nonetheless, um, today was a negative result. So I feel yeah, like that's what it's happens, okay. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but um, we have to go on to Danny Ings here and Emmy Buendia. Let's start with Ings first, because I think Buendia is probably the shining light on the day for Villa, um, even though it was pretty grim at most points, in my opinion. I mean, the guy does get a lot of slack. Some people already kind of wrote, written him off wondering why we bought him. And I've done it as well. I'll admit that. And then we look at, okay, well, we need a striker depth. Keenan Davis, of course, just went to Forest on loan for the rest of the season. So I hope he smashes it there on a side note, of course. Um, so thank God we actually do have another capable striker and that's allowed us to make that move. But let's be honest, the guy in the first half, um, before he scored the goal, he was clear through and had an effort block that I think he probably would have scored. Um, of course, he scored the goal there. It's with Ings, it's not, he's not Watkins in the sense that he's going to take 10 touches with the ball. He's going to take probably three and he's going to put it beyond the keeper almost every time. And I feel like that's probably our biggest downfall is that we're so used to and many of these players Tom are so used to playing with walk-ins where they can give it to him on the left if he's kind of went out wide and he can cut in and do a mazy run Ings isn't going to do that Ings Mm -hmm. is going to sit in the middle and he's going to create chances from the middle it's just really frustrating when you sit back and look at it and probably if you look at the highlights later there's just so many instances where I thought Oh, you know, if you flick that ball over when the likes of Louise or Ramsey or McGinn has it from the midfield, he's going to latch onto that. The likes of Pontus Janssen is not going to keep up with him. And I thought there was a lot of missed opportunities that way. And that's not typically a ball that you see Villa do, but it's about, for me, about being adventurous. And I just felt like we were playing a little too safe. You kind of feel that mm-hmm. way as well. Yeah, I was, it was, it was almost odd to me. Because I feel like, you know, we had to, even with the injuries and stuff, like we had the Arsenal out there on the pitch today to uh, not necessarily make light work of Brentford. But like, I think the way we were playing, you know, the way we played first half, if we'd have won that game 2-0, maybe even 3-0, nobody could have turned around and said, well, that we didn't deserve that or that was a fluke result or that didn't represent our play. Um but, you know, the Ings thing, like, A, let, firstly, let's go to the goal. Because, like, the goal, uh, what, what a great goal that was. Uh, brilliant from Brendia. And Danny Ings, one thing I will say to him, like, I've always liked him as a striker and as a finisher. And, you know, we've I still think the merits of his signing and the circumstances around his signing do warrant some scrutiny. Because I'm not particularly sure that he fits in as well as we would like him to. But what I will say is, like, that is reason number one right there why we signed him is a finish like that. Think like the Watkins stuff missed the first few games of this season out with COVID now. And if it, imagine if this had been last season, there was no option with, with all great, all due respect to Keenan Davis. 
um there was just no real quality option so like thank in that sense thank god we have danny ings and i have to say i do as much as i like watkins and he's, he's proven himself to be a pretty adept finisher obviously last season and 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 this season in some of the goals he scored but i'm not entirely sure there's anybody in our squad apart from danny ings who scores that goal from that position on their weaker foot today like that's an Excellent, excellent finish. And it's just the finish of a seasoned goal scorer. And so that's reason number one why we signed him. Um, obviously, he has, he, you know, I think he's a very good team player, but you're always going to get, you know, it's hard not to shake that feeling of like, yeah, but he's not Watkins. Because while Ollie Watkins isn't perfect, and sometimes he gets that sort of case of, gets a case of the bobble first touch where he can't quite bring it under control and everything. But like he's involved in the build-up for virtually everything that we do when he's on the pitch, Watkins. And um, while Ing certainly has hold-up play, you know, in his locker, I just, I feel like every time Watkins doesn't play, we really miss that sort of involved in everything aspect. Um, so it's a tricky one because like, obviously I'm not, no, no one's trying to sit here and suggest that it's not nice to have an option like Danny Ings up front. It's just that I would rather him be the, you know, I think we struggle a little bit still when he's the primary option. Like when we're, when we're cornered into having to play him and having to use him as the um, like fulcrum of our attack. I don't, I still don't think we've worked out how to play you know, in, in those situations. Um, I agree with you, though. I did like his link up with Brendia. I thought I have to agree. I thought that obviously we, as a whole team, we went off the boil in the second half, but first half, Emmy Brendia right there. It's exactly the Emmy Brendia that we were hoping we would sign. Because even, you know, the assist was what was just excellent. But even apart from that, like picking up the ball, like he's really found that ability that he had at Norwich and we hadn't really seen in the early weeks of this season from Buendia to just wriggle out of tight spaces. Sometimes when he gets the ball and like you've got two defenders closing in from different angles on him, I have no idea how he comes out in possession of the ball. It's actually remarkable sometimes. And so that is just really great to see, I have to say. And that's... uh getting him in a consistent run of form and run of fitness and playing like that as an, as one of the number tens, obviously with Gerard's narrow number tens, that is going to be key to our success for the remainder of the season. Um, and so that was really, really, really positive to see today. Um, and I did think that he and he and Ings linked up pretty well. I imagine in training, they link up like on the regular and plenty of, plenty of training ground goals come from it. And the potential is definitely there. Um, so that was nice to see. I just, I just think it's tricky, right? Going back to the issue of injuries and COVID and everything, like how do you get any momentum in a season like this? And obviously, like as you know, I'm sure fans of every team say this on all, you know, all of their, all of their various podcasts. But um, how does anybody build momentum? I was talking to you before this, before we recorded about the Chelsea game, Boxing Day, and how weird that felt with having had the game before it and the game after it postponed before we even, you know, before we even played Chelsea, the Leeds game had already been postponed. Um, and players getting COVID, I feel like you just, it's one of those seasons where you just can't be sure of anything. Like I long for the times when you played on Saturday, you knew you were going to be playing the following Saturday you knew that, you know, there's always the slight risk that you might get an injury in training, but you didn't have to worry about all this, you know, players getting COVID or exposure or whatever. And yeah, it's it's a frustrating time where I feel like we have the building blocks of a very, very competent team. But like, how do you get that momentum and that consistency? Well, it, it's pretty simple, to be honest. Just spend like a gazillion pounds on your team, buy a, 
a uh, tricky midfielder winger for a hundred odd million, see his value go down about 20 million within half a season and sit him on the bench. If that sounds familiar, you can have a guess who moment. That's as cl- close have, as we're getting. I have, with no, a guess idea. Who. I have no. no idea what you're referring to, Carl. No. I think, I think his not, his name is John Grolish. I can't remember, but anyways, anyways, puns aside that that's our funny moment of the podcast, hopefully. Um, and I probably just ruined it by pointing it out, but nonetheless, um, of course, we touched on Buendia there a little bit. The one thing I do enjoy about his game now, especially, and I'm so glad we're not seeing him exactly in the middle of the pitch, mm, yeah. is he can cut in from the right and he can float out to the left. He's almost playing, he's not playing the Grealish role of last season, but he almost is in a sense. He has that freedom to roam around and to create space. And to be honest, it's probably one of the games where, albeit he did lose the ball once or twice, but he was just so tidy on it. Mm. And I just feel like with when you look at him and the opportunities that he can create, when you're a wide, I feel like you're afforded to lose the ball a little bit more than you yeah, are that's in what, the middle. Yeah, I have no problem with players like Brendia losing the ball because it just that's because they they're trying to make something happen, right? Like, yeah. Rather that than lack of creativity, lack of ideas. Oh, 100%. And the one thing I do need to bring up now because I, I feel like it's been touched on i've seen it on twitter like a million times before we jumped on here tom is matt target and i hate that he's had a slow start the injury and issues and everything at the start he started to regain some form lost it again and then since stevie g came in he's looked like his old self and this is probably one of the first games where you'd have to say it's probably been his worst i mean easy balls were going astray um he wasn't overlapping nearly as much as he should be and he just looked a very frustrated, nervous figure out there. And the, the easiest way to know if Maddie targets having a good game is to watch his movement when he usually gets one of his first few touches after he's done something. And he just looks like a shell of his form himself. Mm-hmm. Like he goes into kind of hiding instantly. And for me, that's one of those things that again, that we kind of touched on earlier is he's a, at Dean Smith signing, he's the old era of Villa. And now you see the the links with Tagliafico of um, Ajax and other left backs come that might need to come in and all this kind of stuff. And it just, it does kind of make you wonder here if he's going to be one of the players. I wouldn't say on the outs, but maybe not a starter here in the near future. Is it, it's, it's a real conundrum I find of a player, Matt Target. I think he's one of these who is, Runs, runs an awful lot on, you know, based on confidence. Confidence is just such a huge part of football. And so that's his performance today was, is one of the main reasons I find it, it's so frustrating is that, you know, remember that interview he gave after Smith's last game when he looked like an absolutely broken man. You were like, oh God, like knowing that he's a confidence player, like how are we ever going to get him, you know, how are we going to get him back up? And then we we look to have solved that problem like under Gerard he's really looked like the best of the best version of himself but today I thought he looked confused a little bit lost like he wasn't the only one I don't like but he's he's a good example I think of how today a lot of things just did not did not materialize in the way that the coaching staff would clearly like them to be um and it does it does bear the question I think like to move up, you know, not to single out target too much. The other, I guess the way that I would spin it and the way that I would reframe it is I think that like, if, 
if our club and Gerard and the staff are serious about bringing players in in January and then obviously particularly next summer when you have more time and you can lay better plans and everything, like let's not forget that the January market is a very different one to the summer market. Um, but we're clearly intent on making those signings and upgrading those players. Like to me, there are what, like maybe five players in our starting lineup who you can look at and you can say, yeah, we're well, like, I'm happy. Like that's the... The future of Villa includes them. You know, obviously your Martin, your Martinez's, your Conser's, like Ollie Watkins, definitely one for me. Um, whereas you look at players like Matt Target, and while on his on his day he's good and he's a very solid left back, and I I appreciate the work that he does do. You do find yourself wanting a little bit more consistency, like we said earlier in the pod, that kind of content for this season being a mid-table team. It's where I expected us to be this season, to be honest. After uh the, the the turbulence of the summer window that we had and given it's another covid affected season like that's all rearing its head again like i think a, a ex, okay aiming for more than mid table is obviously fine but expecting it i think we should be a bit hesitant but you've got to say that after with gerard's staff in place and you know the ambitions that the club clearly has like we're going to be wanting to make that step to europe certainly next season and does that blueprint include players like Matt Target playing 35 games a season at left back I'm not not really sure that it does um I think the key thing to do is to not make sure that we don't dismiss any of these players who on their day can do a very good job or whatever but it's okay to also be looking to upgrade and I think there are very few players really in the Villa team you know I named three I think then Martinez concert um Watkins I think Matty Cash is improving pretty much all the time as well obviously he still makes the odd error but so does everybody let's not go down that road I'm thinking Tyrone Mings here um but Cash is improving every game I definitely think he's got a future as in Villa starting 11 as we as we build and hope look aim aim higher up the table but I don't think there are more than four or five players that that applies to I think it's open season really on on everybody else and if if the chance comes up to upgrade in positions like left back, it would be remiss of us as a club, I think, not to explore those options. Yeah, it's it's all about progression and making the most of it. And I feel like anytime, maybe maybe I'm the only one that feels like this, or there's only a select kind of uh, low population or percentage of the, the Villa fan base. But when you think of Villa in the Premier League since coming up, you think of Mings and Target, and Dougie Louise, basically the key players that we saw, of course, in the promotion season, or I guess the first season back, I should say, and of course, last season. And I feel like there's a lot of sentimental value around those players. So maybe they get protected or and or actually get more abuse than they probably deserve. It's and, and like you've said, probably a dozen times during this podcast, Tom, it's such a weird season, like to go back to the Chelsea game quickly on Boxing Day. I knew it was happening, but like at the same time, I almost didn't want to watch it. It was just the last month or so with this new COVID variant has been like so weird that I haven't wanted to do the things I typically want to do. It's thrown in my schedule completely out of whack personally. And I'm sure it may have done, of course it did for you, of course, in your trip with going to the games. And I guarantee it has for others. And it definitely has for this podcast with uh, certain members getting the virus, of course, and having to deal with that as well as Danny acknowledged on the last pod. It's a, uh, it's just a crazy time in life. And I feel like not to get too deep here, but like, I feel like people, and I have to remind myself of this sometimes too, is that people almost disconnect from 
football players being people. And mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like they think the regular kind of circumstances of life don't always apply. Of course they have financial benefits and all that kind of stuff that the regular population doesn't. So fair enough, but at the end of the day, they feel what we feel and they do what we do. And unfortunately they are not, um, avoidable of this virus and of tragedies in life and issues and problems and things like that. Like it does happen. So I think we all have to kind of keep that in mind as well. But I'm, again, I'm not saying don't give some players some sticks. Sometimes they do deserve it. Like the whole Trezeguet thing, to be honest, give them as much stick as you want after that, as long as it's within um, proper standards, like no stupid, like super stupid stuff. But like that was embarrassing. But nonetheless, let's go over to Twitter because there's about 90 responses um, for the three word reviews. Thought it'd be nice to bring these back because it's been how, a little while. Yeah. Um, how many of them? Are, how many of them are, are able to be read out? That's what I want to know. Um, well, I, I liked a bunch of them ahead of time, the ones I wanted to read out. Um, and the man I passed that had too many swear words that I can say the odd one, but I don't want to be just cussing for the next probably minute here. So I picked ones that are as much um, appropriate as possible. Um, so we'll start with uh, Jules saying, Give gerard time um Macaville actually doesn't have a three-word review it's a bit longer but uh, interesting fact last we beat brentford was 1947 it's our bogey team um fair enough i just wanted to read that out because it's actually quite an interesting stat and i never realized that uh barry robertson says very immature performance um pete Mitty says final third blunt chris maley ruined my weekend uh, chris hopefully you have a better weekend uh taunty um hopefully i pronounce that right says every week it's the same left-sided defense uh what's go to billy says can't play 90 uh dave ray cwu says bogey side brentford jay says we deserve that um let's see hackashack sabbath saying another triori turnover and i think there's a few more here michael rudd villa are back sarcastically of course lee dally smith top drawer shite um chris stott brooks three points lost uh from the from Witten to Rotterdam podcast, of course, another Villa pod uh, chipping in saying need some depth. And I think the last three are here. Adam says subs too late. Matthew CC bark, no bite, which is probably going to be the title of this podcast, to be honest, because I'm struggling to think of one. Um, and uh, UTV, um, UTV, AVFC, UTV. Uh, thank God I can read that quickly says need a, left back or lb i guess he put it to get it within three words there's a few others but nonetheless there's 90 of them i don't really want to sit here all day because i'm sure no one wants to listen to all mm. 90 the, but uh yeah the the one about you know uh immature performance i mean i think that's kind of a fair assessment of it really and i oh, think yeah. that obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of mitigating factors i mean there were under smith as well right and they're still here under gerard that's not going to change for a while but... we're villa there's always mitigating circumstances yeah, that's true. <laughs> but like today was you know like today uh, immature is a fair word i think because today like that game was so in our control and i genuinely think the you know if you're looking at it, immaturity naivety might as well be a, a you know a good a good word to use and it's not just as much as I like what I've seen from Gerard and his staff so far, I don't think that naivety is or, or immaturity is only on the pitch. I think it is also in the dugout. Um, managing, it's disappointment because, you know, in the wins, 
in the little run of wins we had um, in Gerard's very early weeks, like we seem to have learned how to close out a game and how to be savvy, you know, and and, and that's really key. If you're going to make that push from mid table to challenging for Europe, you have to be savvy. And like, there was just none of that today. Was there at all? There, there was no, there was no um, residual sign of that sort of savviness and that now in, 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 in shutting out games. And we really, really need that back, I think. Yeah. And it's one of those things too. And we've touched on it before. I think a game like this has shown that, yeah, we have more depth, but we probably need to improve on the starting 11, you would say, and the depth a little bit as well. Um, of course, I'm going to assume Tuanzebe is going back to United to go to Napoli on loan. I think Steven Jarrett said he'll know about that kind of decision, what's going on there later today or early tomorrow. Um, mm. I'm going to assume that's happening because sounds like even- sounds like it's done to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, realistically, I would probably have expected him to play today instead of Haas. Like you would have think you would think at least um, if he was staying and maybe that kind of affected, but it's another example of just how topsy turvy everything's been. We just really can't seem to get anything going. And there's a lot of sides like that this season. I just feel like not to put a dampen on things right before we <laughs> do our, uh, match balls here, but I just feel like this is a, such a blah season for so many teams and uh, it's COVID ruining. And unfortunately, um, it might be a little bit more <laughs> longer before we finally figure out how to, uh, mitigate that a little bit more at least it's, it's not as severe as last time well it's almost you know last time obviously it was more severe with the big break and then not having fans in the ground like but in some ways this season is almost certainly as surreal as last season was because though we're carrying on you know a couple there's there's postponements there's players playing with the teams playing with like numerous key players missing like villa haven't even been one of the worst affected ones i don't think i think it's fair to say there have been several teams that have been far more affected covid wise than we have um but it's just surreal it's like it's almost not a real season in the way that it's being handled and yet yeah. the 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 results and the outcomes are as real as they always are in terms of what it means for a club to win games and everything so it's it's you know you've got you've got to hope that it all sort of evens itself out relatively soon otherwise we could we're going to still get this drifting feeling that we have at the moment where you're sort of bouncing from game to game sometimes not even knowing if the games are going to be on like how can you be expected not just villa any team to prepare adequately week to week in in a situation like this you, you know you can't well like i mean look at our bench today we had 16 year old uh josh feeney on the bench <laughs> yeah. i mean if that doesn't preschool gonna, wasn't it? Yeah. that makes me feel massively like when seb's on i feel a little bit old i'm sure it makes simon feel even older but I mean, seeing a 16 year old on the Villa bench uh, makes me feel ridiculously yeah. old. May, in, May 2005, he was born. How hideous is that? Like in 2005, I was in grade five. And I, yeah, so yeah. And I had a much better hairline back then. So I'll definitely <laughs> take that. But oh, uh, I feel your pain. Yeah, I know that. See, this is the, the old men in us are the, the, the coming to that part of our life uh, talking now. But Nonetheless, anyways, Tom, we've rambled on long enough, so let's get to our match balls and get the heck out of here. (laughs) Sounds good to me. Um, For me, I mean, it's got to be slim. I think it's slim pickings today, really. Um, I'll give a shout to that save from Emmy Martinez. Unfortunately, as often as seems to happen relatively often, it counted for nothing in the end, but he's just so reliable, isn't he? 
like coming up with those big stops. Um, But I think it has to be, though we all went off the boil as a team in the second half, it has to be Emi Buendia for me today. I thought it was um, one of the clearest indications that we've seen so far from him of why we, why he was so highly coveted by us, like why he was the first signing, you know, that we made. And he was clearly the one that was the most targeted for the longest, you know, on on the longest time frame. Um, He's still slightly hit and miss, but I think that a lot of the, you know, the mitigating factors that we keep talking about play a lot into that. But today, excellent. Picking the ball up, looking to make things happen, wriggling out of tight spaces, fantastic assist, um, you know, all power to him and and long may that continue. Yeah, massively. Um, I'm going with Bundia as well, but to be honest, and when I put the player ratings up on the, the website here a little uh, while ago, honestly, I could have went with either him or Danny Ings. I know Danny Ings didn't really do much in the second half, but he's a predatorial striker. He's not going to be one that's going to create really his own chances. He's going to finish off others and it's going to be what get what you kind of give with him. And I thought he was so good in the first half with what he was given um, that it, it really impressed me. And I know a lot of people kind of go on and I don't want to go on about it again, really, but I just want to say four goals and he hasn't made that many really appearances that have either been, there's been about a few off the bench that are very short. And of course the matches where it's against the likes of Chelsea and things like that, where we should have capitalized. But to be honest, when he started, he's at least scored a goal. And I, I think yeah. that has to give him some credit as well, but yeah, it's going to be Emmy Bundia as well. And just everything you said, it's, it's nice to see him finally benefiting and you can kind of start to see why uh, Villa paid what we did for him. So hopefully uh, that continues and it's not an, another inconsistency in this Villa side. But uh, anyways, let's wrap things up, Tom, because we've been going on for more than long enough. We said we'd do this as for usual. half an hour and yeah. it was, it's never half an hour with us. You're becoming the new uh, Danny Raza with me in the podcast where when it's just me and him, we ramble on further. Maybe that's just maybe I'm the it factor in that and the blame for that. But Nonetheless, I love a good chat. So we'll wrap things up there. Thank you very much to Tom for joining me, of course. Of course, you can catch both of us on Twitter. Links in the description of wherever you find this podcast. Leave the podcast, of course, a positive review. Hopefully, we should be back just before the United game, which I think is on the 10th. And then we play them again shortly after. So lots of United fun stuff coming up, I'm sure of it, as I say it very sarcastically. But we'll leave it there. And don't forget, uh, the Villa. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.